This is Urasawa Boys, a podcast where you read and discuss the works of uh, manga artist and author Naoki Urasawa. Uh, right now, we're reading Monster, and Monster deals with a lot of dark and troubling topics and themes, so a list of content warnings is going to be available in the show notes. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Urasawa Boys. Welcome back. We're, we're the boys. You're Urasawa. And uh, you've no, done that one before. Been, I have done that one. Yeah. Have you guys been. Uh, um, who, who's. Ah, uh, fuck. I forgot, his, I forgot his name. The other guy. Nagasaki. Yeah, uh, yeah, Nagasaki. You is guys it? aren't Urasawa. You're Nagasaki this time. Yeah, it is Nagasaki. Okay, wow. I'm glad um, I pulled that. That's, that's well, exciting for me. Yeah, uh, so no, you're not Urasawa, you're not the one who, who writes these things, but you are his kind of, like, co-writer. You're crucial to the process. You, absolutely crucial. You do a whole lot to, like, bring that geopolitical edge to things, Ooh. and uh, thank God for that. You know what I just realized? I am recording in stereo. That's okay. We can split you down to yeah. mono. You don't need no, to stop right. it. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's uh, that's what's up with you guys. Um. I hope you're having fun with that. Uh, what's up with us? What's up with you, Matt? Hey, uh, well, I've got a mustache still. Uh, we've, we've crossed you do, the- and I I noticed that it's like you, you cleaned it up. I did, yeah. It was getting, well, I, I, went, to a, I went to a wedding last weekend, so I got the sides of my, my hair was getting kind of crazy. So I got, my, I got my hair cleaned up a little bit, and I've taken the, well, I shaved this morning, so that's kind of why I'm looking clean except for mustache, but I feel like I've crossed the Rubicon of, like, now the mustache just really makes me look like a cop, is the problem. Yes, so, I, I would I would agree, especially when it's well-maintained. Yeah, I need to get rid like, of it, I think it's I, it's I think the wedding was its high point. I mean, um, I'm, do you want to tell share... the, the oh, listeners yeah. about? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, uh, I went to one of my so old coworkers' good. weddings, and I, I hadn't seen him since I started growing the mustache. And it's been we're at like two months, two plus months now on this sucker. Um, and so I mean, I, there were a bunch of people that I hadn't seen in a long time. And listeners, I don't think I've mentioned this, but like what I've learned in the past couple of weeks is that dudes love the mustache, like. Quinn came and visited and we were out and guys were like pointing and cheering at the mustache. And like, it was the same at the wedding. Like there were a bunch of people. One of the groomsmen had a mustache that was like, I mean, look, it was a good effort, but his mustache was nothing compared to mine. And he came up to me. He's like, you know, I really thought I was going to be the guy with the mustache at this wedding, but like got handed to you. A bunch of people were like, Matt, we didn't recognize you with that mustache. You're looking real cool. Father of the bride at one point called me over and was like, you know, I, I just wanted to say, I've been asking everyone all night, who is that guy with the mustache? He looks so cool. So uh, that was kind of the, that was like the high point. Uh, but anyway, so the, 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 it's the inverse. Well, not the inverse. Maybe it's the, is it the converse? I don't remember. I was never good at like those logic things where it's like, it's the contrapoint or something where it's like, guys love the mask. Guys love the mustache. I do not think women like the mustache and i no. think probably the fact that it makes me look like a cop is, is probably part of it be, it's not helping. helping 
Yeah. Um, but but yeah, it's been so the mustache is probably biggest thing. I mean, my it was my birthday on Wednesday, so I'm 28 now. Um, another another year closer to death. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, we've talked about how you believe. Is it your 100th birthday that you think you're gonna die yeah. on? No, no, it's not that I think I'm going to die. It's more that I have evidence that suggests I will make it to around there. So okay. it's just a useful heuristic. Gotcha. I thought it was like one of those things where it's like this is like for a long time in high school, I was like, I'm going to die standing up uh, just because I thought it was funny. <laughs> yeah. That is funny. You're right. It is. That is funny. Uh, when I was correct. moving, I found a piece of paper that I had signed and had my best friend sign as well, and we dated oh, it, and it classic. said Matt Fennell will die standing up. <laughs> well, was it? Do you ever? I remember in middle school, uh, I had some friends that literally like signed their soul away for a piece of notebook paper, like they like somebody wrote up a contract. <laughs> that is always like freaked me out too much paper. because I am just enough right. of like a good boy evangelical Christian who grew up during the Satanic Panic, where like that. I mean. Going and here's another Bonnaroo story. So we went to the Liquid Death tent during Bonnaroo. Okay, right. Liquid Death. Their their gimmick at Bonnaroo was they set up what they called the Liquid Death Country Club, which they they built like this fancy little country club out in the middle of Bonnaroo, and it had gold statues and ivy, and it it just was this really fancy looking building. And to get in, there was a sign that said, uh, "Sell your soul, join the country club." And you scanned with your phone on a QR code, and it pulled up this like like it looked like a legally binding contract and you put in your email and then you say i the undersigned sign over my soul to liquid death and then they scan your phone and let you in and quinn i'm gonna be perfectly honest there have been a couple nights where i've woken up and been like shouldn't have sold my soul to that sparkling water company <laughs> <laughs> i don't think i could have done it i mean um, i got uh i got a really cool fun, but... fake neck tattoo you did. that would have been that that would did seem worth it, it was that, really cool i'll post great. a picture of it they gave me a couple yeah. bottles of of sparkling water i've got a shirt now so uh but honestly look do i believe do i believe that the lord has the power to save from liquid death i do i think i'm fine that's like you're probably right my there. theology it, i like, think works out clutches, in my favor the clutches of the devil may be a little <laughs> bit difficult but the clutches of the liquid death sparkling water corporation uh I, maybe i think i'm fine i think maybe jehovah's got that handled uh, <laughs> so that's it's that's a lot you, about me it's funny we bring up uh selling your soul though because there is a little bit of that happening here in this reading just Ooh. a teensy just a teensy but it's an interesting interesting bit of connection there uh what's going on with me there was something i was going to tell you about oh i wanted to bring up um i don't know how many of our listeners here are like cape comic fans uh, but if you aren't watching My Adventures with Superman, wow, you are you are sleeping hard on some of the best cart uh, some of the best like superhero cartoons to come out in the last twenty years. Uh, I just watched the new episode. Ooh. Okay, so Ooh. it wasn't out when I went this morning. Like I made a cup of coffee this morning and sat down to watch it, and it wasn't it on wasn't Max out. yet. Yeah, so oh, I was like, weird. ah. Well, Couldn't lie to me. They said it comes out at midnight. It should, it should have been out. It should have been out by midnight. I was, well, maybe the maybe the Max app is like, broken. Like two p.m. your time. Um, okay. Uh, but yeah, a uh, really good episode. Seriously, I'm really enjoying it because like it has been a while since I saw someone do something I would really call fresh with DC mythos, much less Superman mythos. Uh, and just seeing them reinterpret all this stuff and add in new stuff besides, it's just awesome. It's just really cool. 
<laughs> that's like my favorite i like this is what i really liked about like new 52 and they had that other one yeah. that, was it was it earth one is what they called it where they would do like the standalone graphic novels that were like uh, origins yeah okay. yeah the earth one stuff is is really cool the green lantern earth one i liked green really lantern fun. earth one a lot i liked the yeah. batman earth one i don't i think if i want to reread that one would not hold up as well um but i i my no, one of my favorite things about was like fine like it's morrison and it was interesting. Was it Morrison? Morrison did the Wonder I Woman. I think it was Morrison. That's what I was just talking about. Oh, I was talking about the Batman. Oh, yeah. I don't know who did Batman. Yeah, it Jeff. was... Might have been Jeff. I think it, maybe it oh. was... Um, No, no, no. It was... Uh, it's Was it Brian Azzarello? Ooh. It seems like something he would have written. Hang on. Yeah. I don't That's... know. Because it was like a kind of a weird not Mr. Zaz. Mr. Zaz was the... Yeah, and who did who did Green Lantern? Now, now I know. Uh, uh, Keith something? Now I something? want to know. Keith. Oh. It's Keith something, was it? Uh, uh, Batman. No, Batman was Jeff Johns. You were right. Uh, oh, Batman was Jeff Johns. Go me. That, Green I Lantern. should read that because I feel like I haven't... Yeah, Gabriel Hartman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a real yeah. like alien kind of feel to it a little bit. Like... Oh, yeah. Very... Blue collar space. Um, yeah. But the the reason I brought that up was I always really like when it's like, okay, we're doing DC Universe of First Principles, because it's like, mm. how are you going to do this stuff that I know? Exactly. Like, yeah, how, yeah. how are, are the gonna, things that I like going to show up? And uh, and they keep they keep knocking it out of the park. This this most recent episode, I won't, well, I Yeah, don't spoil you. it, because I'm, I'm going to watch it this evening, probably. Yeah. But uh, listeners, strong wreck for me. Uh, all right. Well, that seems like good preamble. Seems like good pod. What do we what do we want to do about monster here? Folks, folks, we are we are getting into it. We're heading into it. This is the fourth to last episode. Wow. Um, technically fifth, if you include the wrap up, but it's our fourth to last, you know. So this is the first half of volume eight, and then there's the second half of volume eight, and then there's volume nine, and then we're done. There's only we a are... couple more episodes where I don't know how this ends. Yeah. Soon, I, too, are. will be cursed with knowledge, oh. as Range Touch likes to say. <laughs> I, I, I would definitely say that being cursed with knowledge for Monster, like, mm, what a series where you really do want it to all to all go away and you want to read it again. I've been really enjoying it. It's been a delight. So I've been, and honestly, I've been waiting to read the next part for a long time. Before we started recording, I mentioned it's it's been a while since we recorded. I looked at yeah. the timestamp on uh our recording for episode 14 that was july 14 almost oh a full God, month ago and you know what? i was feeling it i was writing the notes and i'm like i don't remember how to write these yeah it was I like, had to, it took me a, a minute i had to, to do yeah. them i definitely i feel like i i haven't written very many but this is an interesting little reading um I'm excited for the wrap up episode where we tear all the all the volumes yeah uh, i'm excited for that um, this one's exciting, but I don't think there's as much conceptual for us to talk about. Not even close to yeah. as much. I think this one, like this one's fun. It's a it's mm -hmm. a good reading, but definitely it's not doing nearly as much heavy lifting. There are there is one piece of extremely heavy thematic lifting, like one new concept it introduces that I think is very important. Okay. Um, but kind of aside from that, this this reading feels a lot to me like trajectory adjustment like okay. here is where we're trying to go 
and and Urasawa was just like using the using the maneuvering jets to make sure that we stay on target you know mm. and like we already have the momentum he doesn't have to worry too much about maintaining momentum he just needs to make sure that we stay on target that's kind of how this reading feels to me okay yeah I That's talked it. about a All roller coaster with... last time, yeah. and I think maybe it was like, you know, we were going up the hill. I think maybe we did like a little hill, like a little whoop, and now we're, we're getting ready yeah. to get, go up we're, again we're for the big one. We're going way back. I think that's a very good way of putting it. And and to dip, you know, I mean, the the Martin chapters at the start of this reading are so fucking good. The dude continues to be They're an all-timer. So, absolute all-timer. He might like, be he might be so cool that he works in detriment to his role in the story. Like I think, I think Urasawa also right. realizes like this is the coolest dude ever. And then I think that hurts how he's used. <laughs> he's way too cool. Yeah. He's way too cool for this manga. Um it's really it's so funny to have him in the same room as Tenma because it's obvious which one of them is the main character. Oh, the way it that it makes Tenma, Tenma look—it's like, incredible what it does. To, so we should we should just get into yeah, it because yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Okay, let's let's jump into chapter one twenty three. Party's over, and this chapter is very simple. Martin is at a diner run by an old prison buddy of his. Tenma's also there. He's been coming in recently and asking after Martin. Martin beats Tenma the fuck up. Tenma's like, hey, what's up with Ava? And Martin just beats him up. Uh, and then Martin and Ava are at a party. And Ava says, I'm probably done with parties now. Martin returns to the diner. Tenma's there. Tenma pulls a gun. Tenma with a gun in a diner. Um, and talks to Martin a bit. And Martin says that at the party, Ava did something a little unusual this time. She pointed at someone. She pointed at a young, handsome, blonde guy. And Tenma, Tenma says, You idiot. She's served her purpose. And Martin realizes that she's in grave danger. He rushes to um he rushes to his his boss and his boss says, Ah, just in time. And he hands her a gun. No, he hands him a gun, and he tells him to kill her with it. Bum, bum, bum. Bum. Uh, yeah, dude, this rules. I mean, like... Oh, yeah. First of all, we're in... I cannot imagine that a diner like this exists in Germany, right? This feels like a distinctly American kind of diner. <laughs> it's... It, it is a hilariously American diner. Yeah. Uh, to exist in Germany. That said, I'm certain that I mean, they maybe probably there is. still yeah. do. You know, or like, or that, that game that came out. Um, Wanted Dead. Wanted Dead. Don't know this one. You don't know, Matt, you've got to check out some videos about Wanted Dead. What a wild fucking game. It's like wannabe Metal Gear. The voice acting is all goddamn terrible. Hmm. It like, it's like, oh man, it's, uh, it's really interesting. Anyway, the reason I bring it up is that uh, a core location of this game 
is an American style diner, which is in, I think it's, I don't know where it's set. Is it set? No, the characters are German. Um, The characters are German, but it's set in Hong Kong, I think. Okay. It's, but it's in an American diner. Yeah. I mean, anyway, an American diner. American Diner is a specific type of novelty thing. And, like, that paired with the fact that, like, the opening conversation is about, like, how exactly a guy likes his cheeseburger. It's like, this is, this is Pulp Fiction. This is the, this is Tarantino. We're continuing to do it. on it and I'll kill you. Uh Yeah. It's a great line. Um, Yeah. It is fun. Well, and I I love that he's like, give me the usual. And the dude is like, I do not, I cannot even begin to comprehend (laughs) what that would be. You're like, he's. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, I really, yeah, I, I checked, of course, Stearns does not exist. Okay. I've taken it upon myself. Every time uh, a restaurant shows that, well, I made note of the name because I figured you would do it. Like, yeah. I, did, I didn't search for it, but I figured you you would. Yeah, Master Keaton has a has a lot of that um, for, us to, for us to do. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, so Stearns isn't real. But yeah, this whole sequence with Tenma looking like dog shit. And he's like, hey, where's where's Ava? And Martin just absolutely no mercy. Just just fucking bam, bam, bam. Tema doesn't even try to fight back. Yeah, I mean, it's it's incredible how much of a creep it makes Tenma seem like when we see him in this angle. Mm-hmm. Like, NPC behavior, right? Like, I mean, like you said, he looks terrible. <laughs> Uh, the the diner owner is like he's been coming in here every day he has this like super flat affect when he's talking to him and like you said martin beats the shit out of him and to be honest tenma deserves it like yeah you are not doing this right my dude if like we've seen him (laughs) do like tailing people and figuring things out well like he is failing here (laughs) and and he looks like a creep He comes off as a creep. Absolutely. And Martin even gets a couple of good lines while he's while he's beating Tenma up. Like when like he throws Tenma out and Tenma's like, where's Ava? And Martin's just like, beat it. It's so fucking cool. It's so fucking cool. Like yeah, and you're like, damn, Tenma, you really jeez. <laughs> um yeah. it's good. Well, and like, okay, maybe there's something we can dig into with that, right? Where it's like, this is a character so powerful that, like you said, he has become the protagonist. There's something to that, right? Because like, you know, in the last chapter we saw Ava was trying to dress him up like Tenma. I think that's mm-hmm. like d- different. I don't think that's, that's, I I don't think this is like, this is why Tenma seems like such a sad sack because we have new Tenma who's hot <laughs> and Brad Pitt and cool but um i do think that it's interesting that he is so magnetic that just by all comparisons tenma is less interesting um i think i think there is something to that and there is something to the idea that we've been talking about recently of tenma not being a thriller protagonist Mm -hmm. and being placed in these roles in this story like he's doing protagonist stuff but he isn't really one in this this is another good example of Tenma being somewhere and doing something that no self-respecting protagonist would ever fucking do. No one born does not go to a diner and get beat up by a bodyguard. Like, like. Well, I haven't seen those movies in a couple years, but I a couple years, but I seem to remember it starts with he's been shot a bunch of times and is floating in the middle of the ocean. Which that no, no, feels no, 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 no. That's, that's different. That's different. That's thriller protagonist problem. Okay, I guess you're right. right? That is. Right? Yeah. This, yeah. Because, because you can get shot a bunch and be in the middle of the ocean, and that can be cool. But you don't get your Tenma ass Tenma is kicked. not yeah. cool. Uh-huh. 
Mm-hmm. Like, you don't just lurk in a diner and... <laughs> no, man. Well, and then, it's like, really, yeah, when he comes yeah. back and when he pulls the gun on Martin, that's, like, school shooter behavior. Like, yes, what are you, what are you doing? Fuck. He just pulls the gun? And it's like, well, thank God there's nobody else in this fucking diner. Jesus yeah. Christ. You know, it's... It is... Ten is not doing good. No. Ten uh, is not doing good. The, well, the other thing that I thought about um, with these Martin chapters, and, you know, we said Tem is not a thriller protagonist. I am honestly really curious. We might have to do this in the final episode. I am curious what percentage of the chapters in this story are is Tenma the main perspective character. Because originally, it's like Tenma, we follow Tenma through the burning of the Frankfurt Quarter. Yeah. And, and then almost that, every sort of arc is like, there's a new character that's introduced and whenever, cause we started saying it then it was like Tenma's here. He's back. And it feels like every volume, it's like, we only get like one or two Tenma chapters except for when yeah. he was going to shoot Johan in the library. It's like, we focus back in on him there. And then it's just like, he, he slips out again. So it's, yeah, I mean, I, I, he was the main character. And I guess, I guess, you know, maybe now he's not, maybe now he's just, a really important one. I, well, I, it's my it's feeling is by I, the end he will be the main character again because he yeah. was it in the middle, like as the first kind of season wrapped up, and I think it yeah. will be at the end the same thing. But I do think it's interesting how little he's been in large chunks of this story. Yeah, like he's he's the character that the story always returns to. He's like the center point the hinge the the axis on which everyone else is kind of revolving and and sort of moving around it's like tenma always has the first move he does mm-hmm. something and then everyone else gets to do their thing and then we're like okay back to tenma it's like the turn order gets back to the, mm-hmm. to the start um it is a really interesting structure to have for a story and and i just uh just last night i finished uh the expanse the the most recent expanse book um and so that's that's also something that's been on my mind is that decentralized, you know, bunch of viewpoint characters, Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. you know, let's bounce around the world and see what's happening. It's one of my favorite ways for a story to be told. I love Bacchano, you know, that's an anime that really like revels in that. I wonder if I wonder how much Urasawa likes the usual suspects. I actually don't think that's a movie that I've seen. That's the Kevin Spacey one. Yeah, because I mix it in Reservoir Dogs up. Yeah, I have. I like. I know the bit in The Usual Suspects. Yeah, but have not seen it. Then again, well, Usual Suspect. Well, isn't Usual Suspects Rashomon? Uh isn't I there? Don't... Isn't like one of those? Isn't like there's that? There's like some some er story that uh, I don't that think is it's Rashomon, a bunch but I think of it people does talk about the same thing. Um, but it's. So like I I'm not sure like what the source is but but it's interesting you know it's a very fun kind of story structure that I love wherever it shows up and it's cool the way it's done here. Mm-hmm. I um, love I love ensemble yeah. stories right where we have lots of characters and like you said yeah. then you can do lots of different genres and stuff like that. Um, and that's I think been one of the major strengths of this story. So it's. It's it's interesting, um, and you know we talk about how much we love all of the every new character that gets introduced. They're our favorite. Yep. I mean, with few exceptions, but like it's yeah. this has been a good driver for this for this story. Definitely. Well, and you know what else is interesting is that like thinking about other Urasawa stuff, I don't think he does this genre exploration deal the okay. same way 
in his other stuff. Like, his other th stuff is really explorations of a single genre, but Monster is this total patchwork. Uh, and other stories of his, even though they share the huge cast, I don't think we see this explicit uh, mixture of genres the way that we do here. I could be wrong, but based on my memories, I, I think that's about, I think that's correct. Yeah, I mean, we'll have to see. Um, do you have any, do you have any other notes other than like, I just love Martin. Yeah. Um, the moment when Martin realizes what Tenma's saying mm -hmm. and realizes it's, that Ava's in danger and like leaves, he leaves without saying a Springs word. He has action. to go, you know, I like that a lot. There's a good shot. And I was trying to figure out where it's from. Cause it's, it's definitely come up in the story a couple times where it's, I mean, it's, it's, he stands up at the table when he realizes what's happening and it's him standing tall mm -hmm. eyes wide open and his mouth is kind of flat drawn tight um we're looking up at him i the there's there's another shot of who is the doctor that Dieter lived with hartman uh yeah there's a shot of dr hartman looking down at Dieter that looks kind of like this so this has got to come from something else i don't know what movie or comic this shot is originally from but he does um, like to use it, yeah. Yeah, and I it's it's always it's cool when it pops up. For some reason it always makes me think of Frankenstein. I don't huh. I don't know why in my head that is the that is the thing that pops in there. But yeah, it's 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 a cool series of shots. And then again, the realization that like, oh, he was always gonna be the one that they were gonna send to kill her. Like when he shows up, they're yeah. like, Here's the gun. Yeah, right. Go do it. Yeah. Poor Martin. Poor okay. Martin. One twenty four? The man who saw a devil. Um, hang on, let me scroll. Scroll away, big guy. Smoky saxophone overlays another oh, noir yeah. narration. Oh, yeah. The party was like any other. The smell of alcohol. The smell of perfume. Ridiculous small talk. Meaningless laughter. Except for that moment. The same as ever. That moment. Ava pointed at someone. And that someone, of course, is Johan. Uh, upon Ava's identification, the man with glasses and a young man approach Johan and introduce themselves. Martin reflects on how Ava has now served her purpose as he stands outside her hotel room with the gun and his orders to kill her. He enters the room, and Ava's ready for him, drunk. She muses on the fact that it was him that was sent to kill her, and that she's ready and he should just go ahead and do it and kill her the same way that he killed his girlfriend. Martin asks Ava to run away with him, and she laughs and asks why, to which Martin replies that he can't kill another person. Ava asks if he could kill a devil, because that's what she believes she is, especially for how she dressed him up like Tenma. She speculates that she did a terrible thing, identifying Johan, bringing two devils together. She leaves the invitations to future parties to Martin and suggests he go to see if she did something as terrible as she, as she suspects. Martin carries her away to another hotel and changes shirts, keeping Tenma's tie in his suit pocket. He leaves Ava sleeping and heads back to the diner where Tenma's left an address for him, the hotel where he's staying. Martin then heads to one of the parties and finds Johan, who's been socializing extensively, and follows him to a fancy hotel in a room on the sixth floor. The other young man is here, and he wants to talk to Martin about the end of the world. The chapter ends with Martin saying this conversation went on for about an hour, was the worst terror he'd ever felt yeah yeah i feel like this chapter is mostly connective tissue 
it definitely is. Um, there's like cool moments, like the slow motion kind of around her pointing out Johan and yeah, like how much is made. I didn't want to... Yeah. The fact that she's like just identifying this guy was a horrible thing that she shouldn't have done. Like how important this is, I think is, it really makes you feel like, oh yeah, this is like serious what she has done. Yeah, definitely. And you know, I love hanging out with Ava. And oh she's, yeah, you know she's drunk as hell, and and she's like, I am a devil. Well, I don't think she's you drunk know. as hell. She says she's got a good buzz going on. She's not as oh, bad as she is sometimes. She, um, yeah. What do you th- hey? What do you think about her saying that she's a devil? Well, I I don't know. Well, she she is a devil, but I think that's less important than her leading a horrible person to the devil. She says, "I brought together." Faust and Mephistopheles. Right. Okay. And Faust is traditionally the one who you sell your, it's like you make a bargain with Faust to get like incredible powers or something. Not quite, not quite. So Faust, this is a very old German uh, folktale that had a lot of interpretations over the centuries. Um, But Faust was said to be a man of excessive wealth who was extremely bored with his life. Uh, other versions had him as a man of learning that wanted more than, than the material world gave him and wasn't satisfied with scripture. And so, what he wanted more than anything was knowledge, knowledge of everything, and power over it. And so he makes a deal. He see, he sells his soul to the devil, to Mephistopheles, um, in exchange for the stuff. And then, you know, uh, uh, Christian stories being of the are, he gets what's coming to him later, but uh, the point is, is that, you know, like, Faust survives as this uh, cultural concept of, this is the guy who sold his soul to the devil, you know, anyone else who does that, they are following in his footsteps. It's a Faustian bargain, a Faustian pact. Okay. And so she brought together Faust with the devil, uh, and only evil can come from it. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, yeah, because I wasn't sure, you know, a lot of times there's, like, early Christian folklore, and I think, like, Catholic Mm -hmm. Apocrypha especially, there's, like, this idea that, you know, the same way that, like, okay, there's the angel Gabriel, and then there's other named angels and stuff in biblical mythology. I think Mm -hmm. in the same way, there's a lot of named devils, and that, like, kind of in Protestantism especially, that just doesn't exist. It gets flattened out, and it's just, yep, it's the devil. Right. Um, yeah, so Mephistopheles, I, I believe, is not a separate devil. I believe it is a separate name for the main guy. Okay, I'm fairly, I'm fairly certain. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure Mephistopheles is is another big one. I, and then, of course, uh, and I'm pretty sure that's the that's the devil in in Marvel. Yeah, I was gonna Mephisto. bring up Mephisto, yeah. and that's how Spider Man resets. Is the mm-hmm. is. The... <laughs> that's my most of my knowledge of mephisto is is you know mm. spider-man undoing civil war and then because everyone learns who he is in that right that's that whole thing that's how a brand new day that's how the slot run kicks off one more day or yeah. whatever whatever yeah. it is man man yeah I, look dance lot say you know lots of problems with dance lot but he writes some good spider-man every once in a while yeah um uh, I did have a yes. thing that I was going to say about Ava saying that she's a devil. The right. the thing yeah. that I thought was interesting about that is, well, it's kind of the question of like, uh, is it okay to kill a devil, and what makes you what makes a person a devil? And the I th- the thing that she seems hung up on is that 
she dressed him up as Tenma and paraded him around. Yeah. Um, which, if you reduce that down, it's like, I think it's the, like, manipulation, right? Like, toying with a person. Um, yeah. And that's kind of like what Johan does, right? Is like he's manipulating all these people into doing his thing. So I don't know if that's like, you know, if I'm reading too much into it or if the story is saying like, hey, the most devilish thing that you can do is like manipulate and control another human life. And that kind of seems like what we're getting out of the Red Rose Mansion a little bit too, right? Like the evil around that is in how these children were manipulated and changed and controlled. Um, that's kind pretty of... good. Like, like on the one hand, my my instinct on this is to say that probably probably that's not quite what's happening here and it's just ava being you know ava feeling bad about herself and being dramatic you know yeah exactly being dramatic um but but i do think the rest of that analysis is apropos to all the other stuff this idea that that what evil does is evil controls Mm -hmm. i think that's Um, good yeah i think that is really good um and i also think it's important that here we are in volume, you know, in volume eight, and we are beginning to get, like, some of that religious stuff is seeping its way back in after being absent for a while. But now it's, uh, this reading, there's a whole lot of it. People are really talking about Johan. They are calling him the devil. Uh, and that's so much more explicit than it was earlier. Devils and the end of the world um, and lots yeah, of stuff the like end that. Of the world. Yeah, and so, um... like... I think even if you didn't know, like, like if you were reading this as it was coming out, you could probably tell that it was beginning to wind up for the end, you know, like all that stuff, like we're really winding the clock. Yeah. I mean, but at the same time, the fact that we now have this new Johan light that has been introduced, like it's this boy with Johan face and smile. Yeah, it's like, yeah, but... we're still adding pieces to this, I guess. <laughs> The machine Believe continues to get bigger. Believe you me, Urasawa's not done yet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I don't know if I have anything else particularly to say. Um, you know. But yeah, I like Ava. Here. I like Martin. I like them in the same place at the same time. And yeah. Let's talk is about he, the Is he the into world. her, or is he just saying this? Because actually, I guess I shouldn't have opened that can of worms. When he says, run away with me, is he into her, or is he just saying this because he doesn't want to kill her? Or is it both? I honestly... I think it's more that he doesn't want to kill her. I, I, I do, too. I don't I think, think he just... I don't think he I, loves her. I don't think he loves her, but I think he. I think he cares about her. Yeah. Is probably the way that I would put it. Um, okay. Chapter 125. The Devil's Friend. Late at night, a boy drags his drunk mother home. She wants him to leave her there, but if he does, she'll die. So he gets her over his shoulders, and he drags her home. Meanwhile, Martin speaks with a cheerful young man about the end of the world and then about Martin himself. The guy seems to know everything about him, and through him, we learn the actual circumstances of Martin's past. Let's keep this quick. Martin didn't actually kill his girlfriend. His girlfriend was a drug addict. He walked in on her cheating on him uh, with her ex and back on the drugs. She asked her, she, fuck, I am all over with the pronouns today. Um, 
she asked Martin to kill her, and he just left. He hears a gunshot in the hallway, runs back, she's killed herself. He takes the gun and shoots her ex. Uh, and the young man in the present says, that's the same thing you did with your mother, isn't it? You just left her to die because she wanted to. And of course, the boy at the beginning of the chapter is Martin. And, you know, one night he doesn't carry her home. And, uh, and she dies. And the young man says, you know, the next day the police came and told you your mother had frozen to death. And you thought, it wasn't my fault. She asked me to leave her there. Of course it wasn't your fault. Your mother, your drug-addicted girlfriend, they both wanted to die. What's wrong with letting someone die if that's what they want? Ava wants to die too, doesn't she? Martin leaves the room. That was when the devil showed up. I looked away from the devil as I walked past. Don't look. Don't look. Don't look. I chanted to myself like a child. He gets back to the hotel. He points a gun at Ava asleep in bed, thinking of the words of that freaky young man. In her sleep, she says, Kenzo, and starts to cry. And Martin lowers the gun, thinking, I can't follow the devil's script, because nobody wants to die. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, yeah, I don't, where do we, where should we start here? Yeah, there's, a, this is one of the more important chapters in the reading, I would say. Okay. Uh, where do we start do you want to start with this um, with this guy? This yeah. guy Martin's talking to? Yeah. So what creeps you out the most about him? Because I can say the thing. I, like, you start, and then I'll say the thing that creeps me out about it's him. Just the smile. It is just how, you know, like, they, they say it early on in the chapter. He, he talked, uh, like, exuberantly like a child. You know? Like, he is so, he's so into it. Yeah. So into well, all this. And, 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 like, and then he's talking to Martin, and... And he's like guessing at this stuff, and then and then he's like, "Yes, I was right. I'm on a roll." You know, he's his enjoyment is so pure, and that's what's creepy. Yeah, and I so another you know I I guess I missed that it was his excitement like a child because there's another thing that he does where he's where they're talking about the backstory and he, about Martin living with his girlfriend, and he says, "Was it fun living with your girlfriend?" Which is like something that a child asks that's like my five-year-old little cousin that's like a question that she would ask right oh, yeah, it's just yeah. this weird sense that this dude is uh, like an undeveloped child like it's it's a it's a man but he has it seems like that not the mental capacity but like the attitude of a of a young child uh, and it's it's creepy um yeah he's super creepy um and I do want to know, like, like, yeah, they lampshaded a couple of times. Martin's like, how do you know all this? And we don't find out. How does he know all this? Well, because like, I don't want to cinema sense this. He's but... part of the organization. He showed up with the man who Martin works for. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Because yeah. that, they talk about that. He says, you worked for the baby for this many years, and then you were in prison and that. Like, he's, he, 
he, they're co-workers is, is what they are and he's higher up the rung so he's seen his personnel file yeah uh, <laughs> okay fair enough fair enough uh yeah it's 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 interesting um martin keeps you know as he's doing his like i know everything about you martin keeps saying shut up or i'll hit you whatever but like of course he does it and like that's such a genre move right like Uh, shut up stop talking and it's like as the bad guy continues to monologue um so yeah what i really like about that i made a note about that too and what i like about it is that martin's heart isn't even in it he's like Mm -hmm. you're asking for it but like He's completely impassive. His face isn't changing. Like, you can tell he's got no fight in him right now. It's just, like, reflex. Yeah. Cool. Um, Okay, so then the flashback with his girlfriend, who was the drug addict. Um, I do think it's interesting. You know, we've said, like, Urasawa has a bunch of different faces that he draws. He draws drug addicts the same way every time. I think we've seen this girl in five or six different places you know the greasy hair the glassy eyes i think you're i think you're right about that the guy too this is one of his favorite greasy guys this is the dude that richard shot is what like this guy looks like i mean like maybe different but it's definitely uh urasa was he's got a couple of stock yeah Uh yeah his dirt bags in particular the people the people that are really that are really low down uh don't have as much imagination put for them mm-hmm. uh, which funny because like goons his goons are quite varied mm-hmm. um you know always different faces unique faces for the goons but oh, we get like a great said, goon drug- a little bit later yeah. yes we do i made a note about him. yeah but like but uh but drug addicts and prostitutes not as much variation yeah they're flattened um, onto to one thing kind of you know which which is accurate for the genre and like, you know, it's just, like, hey, here's something Arizawa does. Like, as a writer, here's, like, here's where he's placing his imagination, and here's how he is seeing these people. And, I, you know, it's not like I'm going to be making any uh, conclusions off of that, especially not moral ones, but it is something that he does, and something that I think you can see in a lot of different kinds of media is that flattening of people in that space. Um, and that has knock-on effects that, uh, you know, take a sociology class or something. Yeah. If you want to um, learn more. The one thing I do think is interesting is the the drug dealer ex-boyfriend, he's got a bunch of tattoos. I don't think have we seen characters with tattoos yet. Not a lot and certainly not that many. Is one of them like a Manson tattoo? Oh, I don't know, like, but there's a very clear, like a drawn out face on his, like on his. Yeah, on that's his the one I, shoulder. I, I was thinking. I was thinking that might be a, a, a Manson tattoo. Um, um, here, let me look at it, and then I can. Yeah. I will I will make the definitive call on whether or not it's a Manson. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't look like a Manson to me. No. It looks like. Um, I don't know what it looks like. So it looks it it looks like a like a gothic horror or something or other because it's got long it's not it doesn't have a beard like Manson Manson had crazy facial hair oh right this thing's clean cut whatever it is there's a specific thing it looks like and I can't pull it um I'll I'll read someone might have figured out what that tattoo is it's probably something specific 
Um, but yeah, there's the whole thing, you know, so, so how does your perspective on Martin change as we learn about his backstory? Okay. So his backstory makes him into a Joss Whedon character is what it is. He's like, if, if this man was, if this man was supernatural, he'd be, he's like, I haven't seen Buffy. So, but this is just like my conception of the men and Buffy, like Spike and Angel, right? Where it's like, he is this dude who is cursed to have women fall in love with him and then beg him to murder them, right? Like, that's a Joss Whedon-esque piece of, I piece see. of character work. Oh, yeah. okay. I'm getting it now. Yeah. That's, that's really funny. Um, that's funny which I, I think it's, I, and like, I think this is a good backstory point. Like, honestly, you know, there's some ways in which, okay, that's kind of shitty and reductive, right? Or like, if I reduce it to that, it sounds worse than it is. But I do think uh-huh. it's interesting. It's like, you you know, you do fiction rule of threes, right? It's like, okay, so Ava is the third woman in, or the third woman in his life who has been like, just let me die. And like, now he is, he's finally turning it around and like, he's going to do the right thing this time. So like, I think it's interesting that, like, one of my favorite things is like, okay, you know, and this is just like I don't want to say I don't want to extend things that I say about fiction out to the real world, but I think yeah. sometimes when we're thinking about people and like things that happen, and you know, it's easy to be like, "Oh, I'm so complicated. All these things that happen to me are so varied and and crazy." But then a lot of times it's like yeah. it's all just the same thing happening over and over and over again, um, mm. which you know we've talked about a little bit. Um, it's the same thing keeps happening. The thing that you struggle with is the thing that you struggle with. Um, so I, I like that it's all tied up in this yeah. original. And it, it's, is... it's, I, I like it. Yeah, it's fun. I also think, you know, it's really... What I like about it is this whole time that we've known Martin, we've been like, ah, oh, Martin, I like him, but uh, he's a killer. Right, because he's so calloused he's... the way that he talks about shooting yeah, his girlfriend. Know. Yeah, and it was just a front... Mm-hmm. It's it because he didn't. He didn't do it. That's how he's he able did. to talk about it so callously. Yeah. Yeah, which is, I think that's just really interesting. Because mm-hmm. the way he talks about it, you would never see it coming. No. I was shocked. <laughs> that, that he hadn't done it, you know. And it raises the question, of like, it just makes you even more interested in an already interesting character. Just why didn't he just, like, why did he go to fucking jail? Why didn't he, you know... Like, sure, he would have done it. He would have done time for just, like, killing the, the drug dealer. Right. But I guess that's a, a good question because, like, the young man even points out your lawyer pointed out that she had gunpowder burns on her hands. Like, it was obvious yeah. she had killed herself. And you know, you know what it is, though? You know what it is? It's not that he's lying. It's because he, he... Oh, he, he thinks that he killed her. Yeah, yeah. As good as putting the gun in his own hands. Yeah. Uh-huh. Thinks of himself as responsible. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I like is that like he's leaving, he's ready to walk away. We've got sad Hulk music, and then he turns around for one last glance, and that's when the that's when the gunshot goes. It's that uh, it's that classic, you know, Orpheus or Lot's wife or whatever, right? Like, sure, don't turn yeah. around, don't look back. You just gotta go. Yep. And then and it's the look back that gets it was. you. It always is. It always is. Yeah. Um, it's super cool. It makes Martin from an already awesome character and into an even awesomer one. He's good. Just, just super fucking cool. Do you but have yeah, anything so to say I, about his mom's story? I don't have as much to say about that one. If it just anything. seems like it's it fits into everything else. You know, it's interesting mm-hmm. and it's you know apropos and and like oh, 
but that's I all. mean, I guess we've talked about how, like, what your parents do to you is the, in this story at least, it's like the things that yes. your parents do to you. Childhood is the, trauma is, the is a big deal. thing that defines the rest of your life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess from that angle, um, okay. Do you have thoughts For about sure. why uh, the I can't follow the devil script? Did did we land on the same spot about what this whole discussion of his backstory was? So the devil script, I expect. Um, I mean, the devil script here is obviously like it doesn't matter. It's okay for people to die if they want to. It's not uh -huh. your responsibility, you know, like, you know, you're, you're helping them. And this, you know, feels, it, it really fits into Johann's Dimestore Nietzsche uh, philosophies. And it feels very of a kind with the stuff that Johann was, was telling uh, the, the kids together to walk off the roof, you know, that it's all... It feels bundled to me, uh, and you can't follow the devil's script. And and this is the important thing that that I think gets added to the monster like concept is nobody wants to die. Yeah, I think that's super important. Yeah, no, it, it definitely is, um, and I, I agree with everything you said there. But I think even more than that, like I don't mm. think it's just not. I I think it's even more than just being bundled with what Johan does. I think what we're seeing here with this episode is like the young man, this young man is trying to do what Johan does, right? Johan's whole oh. thing is I know your backstory, right? Oh, like I yeah. relate to you. I do your whole thing. And then I point you at the person that I want you to kill and you do it. Right. And that's like the young man is trying to do it here. Right. But he, <sighs> he, he's not as good at it as Johan that's is. So he can't pull it off. Matt, that's so good. That's I, so mm, dummy good. Action. It's exciting. <laughs> How I cannot believe I missed that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This yeah. is why there's two well, of us. It's not even well. It's not even that he's not as good at it. It's it's that Martin. It's that Martin actually gives a shit about Ava. I think the mistake that the the mistake that the devil's friend made was targeting him towards someone that he knew and that he cared about. Okay. All the you know the other. It's usually just like it's people who are tied to Johan. So then because there's yeah. no connection, they can't, exactly. you know, snap it. Okay. Yeah. There's no, like, Johan doesn't put his pawns into situations where there's a likelihood of some emotional thing getting in and messing with the conditioning. Hmm. And I mean, that's the thing that Lungo always says, right, about the crime scenes is there's no evidence of emotion here, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah, that's good. I'm glad we were able to to, to, to talk cool. through this. Yeah. Okay. Um. I think. Wow, man. Tons of tons of stuff out of 125. Yeah, 125 okay. is a good one. We gotta we gotta pick up the pace here. We're already an hour, and we've only done three chapters. I think we'll we'll move pretty quickly through a couple of the ones that are I think, ahead of I us. I think so. Yeah. 126 then. 126. The man who knew too much. Three men show up in Martin and Ava's hotel room looking for Ava. Martin says he took care of her, and they tell him he's pathetic for being willing to die for a woman. There's an extremely cool shootout. We then cut to five minutes earlier. Martin wakes Ava up and tells her to slip out the back and head for Tenma's hotel room. Ava gets dressed and says she'll be waiting at the Frankfurt Central Station and repeats Martin's plea from earlier. Run away with me. Martin balks in the same way that she does and orders her to go to Tenma, to which she scoffs. She heads to leave anyways and tells him not to get killed. Martin replies with the hardest line ever. 
Look, I got no reason to die for you. The two share a meaningful look as she leaves, and then we're back in the gunfight. Martin stumbles out into the parking lot and smokes a cigarette, amazed that he survived. And then there's another henchman, looking terrified. Martin levels this shot, but his luck has run out along with his bullets. The goon shoots, catching Martin right in the gut. We cut back to the framing narrative for Martin's story, in the car, racing towards Dr. Tenma as he bleeds out. They finally arrived, and Tenma applies first aid as Martin passes out. When he comes to, he laughs when he realizes that Ava isn't there and instead has gone to Frankfurt Station to wait for him. He realizes he's about to die and relays the information he's gathered. They're still doing experiments at the Red Rose Mansion. The devil has an apprentice, and the guy with the glasses is a survivor of the Red Rose Mansion who wants to create an absolute ruler. His name is Peter Shopik. Shopik thinks he can control the devil, but Martin thinks otherwise. He rattles off the hotel address to Tenma, begging him not to look at the devil and not follow his script. As he dies, he says a few more things. Nobody wants to die. He's happy he doesn't have to see the devil anymore. And Ava is waiting for him at the station. We cut to the station and Ava is indeed waiting for him. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. The summary pretty much does everything here. There's not too much going on here. It's There's a good much. one. Except, it's a good chapter. Except, oh, it's so good. It's so good. The the one thing in the summary that you uh, forgot to mention, which was so important, oh. or it's so cool, is is that moment when he his luck ran out along with his bullets? You madman! What a good. I was real line. proud when I wrote what that. Yeah, I was like, line. I gotta, I gotta feel like a cry. I gotta do noir. Yeah, I yeah. can, I can, I can do it. You did, but but you forgot to say what Martin says when he pulls the trigger and he's out of bullets, which is, "I'm empty." Damn, I suck. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but to me, that feels so... like that is the anime version of something that Tarantino would want to write. Is the thing? Is oh yeah, <laughs> like what a line, what a one-liner. He's got the cigarette in his mouth and looking cool gets as hell. Shot by this fucking and like, the goon that shoots him is guy. so scared. He's so yeah. nervous. Yeah. Um. And then because he gets Martin in the gut, and Martin's like, "God damn it! At least aim." Yes. Yeah. Now he's just in pain, dying slowly. Yeah. Uh, in the gotta, end, gotta... I mean, he kind of had a meaningless death. I mean, he saved Ava, so I guess his death didn't have meaning. But like, poor dude. Sucks that he died. Yeah. Miss you, Martin. Rest in peace. R.I.P. Um, uh, also, there is a hotel mentioned, the Yahazite Hotel. Uh, this is not a real hotel. However, Yafazite, uh, which I can't be saying super well, means a season. It's their word for, for a season of the year. So there's okay. a lot of stuff in Germany that is named Yafazite one way or the other. Um, so, yeah. Oh, 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 I did have one note. I did have one note. Martin tells Ava, I stole a maid's uniform, put that on and slip out the back. And she, she when she gets dressed, that. no, she puts on her own clothes. She's going to live and die as Ava Heinemann. Yep. Good old Ava. Yeah. Yeah. And there she is, forlorn, checking her watch in the, in the train station. Mm, man. Yeah. The very well-drawn train station, I should it looks also cool. add. Yeah. Really well, really, really well put together. Okay. Chapter 127. Sad Reunion. As Ava waits for Martin, she speaks with the janitor. 
who says, who, who knows from long years of experience that she's waiting for a man. And he says she's lucky to have someone to wait for it all. Someone shows up. It isn't Martin. It's Tenma. And Tenma tells Ava what's going on, and they get some coffee while Ava waits for the train. And she tells Tenma about how shitty she was to Martin. And she asks, why am I still alive? And Tenma says, because Martin protected you. Ava asks, why would he do that? And he says, because nobody wants to die. He said he was lucky that you were waiting for him at the station. He said he was a lucky guy. He tells Ava to go to Munich to see Reichwein and to go to the cops to tell them everything. And she says she will. She asks Tenma to go with her, tell them everything. And Tenma says he's too close and he's going to finish this. No more victims. Meanwhile, uh, on the train, Ava remembers the man in the glasses, Peter Chopek, uh, mention an address and so she decides to end it herself as well um and the chapter ends with ava buying a gun from a shady gentleman to shoot the devil i just want to say uh i'm going to the porn store to buy a gun to kill the devil is 100 percent a drill tweet god <laughs> god <laughs> Wow. You're so... Yeah. It's good. Man. It's a it's a good chapter. It's got a lot of good feeling to it. It has I like the different like sections of it. Mm -hmm. You know, the bit with the with the janitor and then the bit with her and Tenma and Yeah, there's some the fun lines bit. to the janitor where, you know, he's like, Oh, you're waiting you're waiting for a man and she says, Yeah, you know and he says, I've seen this before and she says, Well, is he gonna come? And he's like, Not a fortune teller. Like that's a yeah. fun little a fun little conversation. I do like it. I really like when Tenma shows up and the janitor says to himself, "I guess he ain't the one." Uh huh. I thought that was really, really good. What a what a perfect Urasawa side character. Oh yeah, what he's a perfect, in and like, out. Oh, he does his guy. job. Yeah. Yeah. Really. Yeah. yeah, really great. Um. One note that I had. So we've talked a lot about Urasawa face-only manga. And, you know, I just want you guys, if you ever wondered, like, well, gosh, well, what, like, really, what is that? And really, how does he make it work? Look at the conversation here uh, between Tenma and Ava in, the, in this little uh, train station diner and see what Urasawa does with the camera. Like, he will often use the same camera angles, but zoom in or zoom out, or then jump to a new camera angle. Like, he is always moving the camera around. You're never seeing the same thing twice, right? Because if this was a TV show, a lot of the stuff would just be back Slow and pans. forth. Yeah, yeah and here's, and a, here's a shot of Tenma. Here's a shot of Ava. And Urasawa has spent so long making manga about people talking to each other that he knows how to do it and still keep it dynamic, even though it's the same subject in every shot, but every shot is a different shot, and that keeps it feeling very mobile, 
even though it's it's you know by any other measure extremely static yeah um another note that i have about stuff that i think keeps it feeling dynamic is mm. you know when they're talking about you know when she's trying to puzzle out why did he die for her and he and she starts to get a little weepy um and this isn't new you know like text boxes being jagged when someone's shouting but i do think it's neat that her text boxes get just very slightly a little bit wobbly like she's on the the verge of tears mm. um yeah. it's yeah it's it's a it's a fun little background effect um the other thing that I like a lot that we see, it's it's whenever Tenma, or I guess anyone, is, like, considering murder as an option, we get the thing <laughs> where, like, we can't see their eyes and we can just feel, like, the shadow of their downturn. It's like the guts berserk eyes, right? Where the darkness just radiating out of their out of their face and we can't see their eyes anymore. Yeah. Um, it happens a couple yeah. times this reading. Murder, murder, murder eyes. is a state of disconnection mm -hmm. you know uh so they are it's kind of this idea that like whenever you're planning murder whenever murder is involved you're alone you're making yourself alone can't even connect to the audience yeah and i always think it's it's interesting the ways in which they do it because here it's not like his hair is covering his eyes it's just literally the panel borders like cut yeah. off where his where really, his eyes yeah, would and, be. like the little yeah. shadow coming down it's really cool uh-huh yeah and i really like I like this chapter because this is Ava at actual rock bottom. Yes. We thought we'd seen her at rock bottom, but this is the actual thing. No, Ava at rock bottom is drinking coffee, not booze. That is, that is how <laughs> you know she is at rock bottom. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's like you hate it. You know, we can all, we all know that, uh, that the impetus for change ends up happening when we actually hurt someone in ways that we can't take back, you know, and here she is grappling with it and, and doing her best to change just a little having memorial for Martin, you know, coming to terms with Tenma. For yeah. That this the is finally when she is. Yeah. Right. And I mean, this is finally when she's like, cause a bunch of people over the course of the story have said, you need to help us help Tenma. And she's always like, no, I'm not going to do that. And now, like, now she's ready to. Yeah. You know, she, she doesn't have her bluster or bravado. She doesn't have her booze. She is just really sad in this train station dying. And, uh, and it's hard not to feel for her, you know. And, it's, man, you remember, you remember episode one when I said it was going to grow on you. I, I've always liked, well, maybe I haven't always liked Ava, but I, there have been points where I've liked her more than others. And I, li I like her right now. Yeah, man. They just, she just gets so much. Um, yeah, her trying to kill Johan's not going to end well. It's, it's, you know, <laughs> it's, it's what I'm going to say. Uh, maybe they, she'll get to kill Roberto. That would be nice. Yeah, that would be good. <laughs> wonder, wonder what's up with him right now. Um, where is our trusted friend? He wasn't here this week. The address she gets, uh, the address she overhears is on Haldeckerstrasse, Strasse meaning street. Um, and so I checked, uh, there is no Haldecker. There is a Heidecker and a Waldecker, but there is no Haldecker. <laughs> so, good stuff. Make of that what you will. Uh, and one thing I think is cool is that so much of, um, is that like these last four chapters, 
have all taken place over the course of one night. Oh, yeah. Basically. You know, like, I think that's super cool. Time is compressing as maybe we spin our wheels just a little bit. Um, I I don't know. That is kind of how I feel about the next chapter, especially. Yeah, a bit. It's a bit. Well, let's let's figure it out when we get there. Okay. Do you have any more about 127? I do not. Okay. So then on to 128, Nina's memory. We cut to Dieter and Nina living in another crappy apartment. Nina's gotten another job as a waitress to support them and is trying to convince Dieter that he needs to leave and go back to Dr. Reichlein so he can go to school and make friends. Dieter pushes back, saying he learned stuff from her and that she and Tenma are his friends, which, by the way, extreme precocious homeschool kid energy. Um, Nina heads out on a daily walk, which Dieter tries to dissuade her from. Every day, she takes the same route, hoping to remember. The room above the three frogs where she and Johan and her mother lived quietly, almost in secret. What was her name then? She doesn't remember. But she does remember a man reaching out, dragging Johan down the stairs. Next, the drive towards the mansion and the memory of the man urging her not to hide things from him. She thinks about the old regime and the things that they did and how that tied back to the mansion. Dieter and Nina walk the ruins of the Red Rose, now covered in graffiti, remembering the reading group, which attempted to create superior students. Nina has a flash of the massive bodies at the dinner party and realizes that she must have seen it herself. She has memories of Johan running away through the rose bushes, cutting himself, and she feels the pain in the past as well as the present. She's wandered into the rose bushes. They go back to the three frogs where she remembers reading The Nameless Monster, thinking of Franz Bonaparte and the man who reached out saying human beings can become anything. She remembers waiting for Johan's return, facing the door, smiling, and saying welcome home. This triggers a trance. She gets a split-second image of Peter Schopek telling her to come here and says that the door doesn't open. She screams that she remembers. Dieter breaks her out of the trance in a panic and says that she doesn't have to remember and they should just go back to Dr. Reichwein and make new happy memories like Tenma told them to. Nina hugs Dieter and the two fly back to Munich where a smiling Dr. Reichwein welcomes them home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think this is a good, like, hey, in case you missed what was going on during <laughs> Nina's adventure in yeah. the Czech Republic, here is a summary of her flashback. Yeah. We're going to spell it out for you piece That's by true. piece. It has, been, it has been a little while. Yeah. Um, I do think that, I think it is wheel spinning, but I also think the important thing about it is that all of the questions Nina's asking are priming the audience to ask those same questions. Yes. Right, like it's getting the audience ready to be like, you know, it's it's signposting, it's priming us. It's these like, are the here's important what questions. matters yep. right now. Yeah, you know, and so in that sense, I think that it's actually a pretty clean way to communicate all that. Oh, I think it's you're right that there's super not a lot clean. Of momentum. Yeah, it's it's really elegant, I think, because instead of her just laying it out, it's she's asking questions that like some of them we know the answers to, some of them yeah. we can think about what the answers are. Some of them we don't know. And it's like it is it's a very good summary. We've talked about summary chapters before. I think this is mm. a good one. Yeah, totally. Uh and I really um when she has the flashback of the of the guy asking, uh, like, come with me or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then she like screams, Man, that's so scary. It's her real face, scary. Where she keeps saying, Welcome there. home over and over and again and it the bubbles are exploding outwards, like Yeah. 
I mean, Dieter freaks out. Totally. Yeah. He's like, I fine, I'll go to school. Please just stop remembering. (laughs) Hello, Dieter. Um, Thank God for Dieter. Dieter OG. Dieter is fucking out here today. Thank God. Yeah. Um, hey, I have so now I have more theories about Johan and Nina. Johan Anna. Um, Because they're we're we're primed to ask these questions now, right? Like, okay, so my questions now, maybe my thoughts are Maybe the experiment was to make both twins the same person. Like they didn't have a name because they were one entity. I mean, I am you, you are me. Yeah. Um, I don't know it's if that's almost like. almost as if I saw it myself, she says. Right. I think she did see it herself. So I don't know if it's like yeah. they've been able to induce some sort of shared personality between the two of them. Or if not treating them as individuals has caused them to behave as one unit. And then, you know, when they're named at the border, that's what splits them. I, I don't know. Um, I don't know. But it is, yeah, totally. Like, we are we are seeing Nina's confusion at literally which of these children she is. Where she ends and where Johan begins, yeah. Yeah. Like, literally, like, because one of them is her and one of them is not. But she welcomed herself home. But Johan was the one that, who went. So, who, which, which one is she? I opened the door like, and welcomed myself home is like yeah. such a good line. Like that is yeah. a banger that that's been like the thing in the back half for Nina is like, I opened the door and welcomed myself home. Yeah. Like it's and terrifying. You know, it's so scary. It's so scary. And I think the thing that really makes it scary is that nothing about this, you know, even if Johan has a couple of supernatural powers, nothing about this is supernatural. These are all things that it could actually happen to a person. Mm-hmm. And it would fuck you up so bad. It's dreamlike you know? and scary, yeah. And it's happening. You know, and it's, it's like it, yes, it's got this very true crime feel to it, where it's not, it's not inconceivable. It's not like a weird laboratory. It's just like they're not doing like genetic experiments. They're doing psychological ones. Because initially, I expected genetic experiments in the like, oh, there's going to be a secret lab under the yeah, ba- but, under the mansion, you know. And in a way it is, but it's so much more grounded than that. And that makes it, you know, so much more relatable, you know, like, ugh. yeah, it's super, it's super creepy. Um, and I really, you know, and then welcome home, says Reichfein. Thanks, Reichfein. It's good. Thank you, Dr. Reichfein. Love you. Yep. Alrighty. Okay. Chapter 129. Reading group memories. It's Verdeman. Verdeman's here. And we're in Prague. And there's Jan Suk. Hi, Jan. Um, he's in a terrible mood. <laughs> uh, and we find out that Verdeman and Jan are going to interview some children that we know were members of the Rose Mansion reading group. Um, and as they talk to the people. Sometimes they learn things, sometimes they don't. Clearly, there's something a little bit weird about these reading group people. Verdeman keeps asking questions and Jan keeps telling him to stop doing that because he's only there to he's only there to observe. He shouldn't be asking anything. Um and Verdeman and Verdeman's like, "You kids, you do everything by the book. I bet you even uh talk to girls by the book too." Um you know, uh, and there's one guy they talk to who says that 
when they did the readings at the reading group, feelings like sadness, joy, and fear went away. When they read the books, they truly felt nothing at all. Their own name didn't even matter. True freedom. That's what it felt like. And he mentions that a man came to visit one day at the mansion from a radio station. And he said he liked the song Over the Rainbow. Verdeman says, tell me about that man. And then him and Jan have a little heart to heart. And they come to an understanding. And so then they return to the room. And the guy they were interviewing says that the man from the radio station told him to get out of there while he still could, basically, and go to where his family was. And then he cut ties with the Red Rose Mansion, and he says, can I go now? My wife and child are waiting. This, of course, signals to us that uh, this guy got out. He's okay. Um, and Jan and Verdeman are like, all right, we can do this. We can be a team now. And then there's a couple more witnesses to question. Next, come in, please. Good. Good chapter. This chapter is good. I really like it. This feels like, you know, it's fun seeing Verdamin like, oh, this is what the character was kind of built for. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I every time we encounter Verdamin, I'm like, what could, what could Urasawa have done earlier on to make him to... to kind of approach all that a little bit more tightly. Yeah. Because this is great. I love seeing Verdamin. And I love seeing Verdamin and Suk in the same place at the same time. Yes. Like, what an interesting dynamic. Yes. So at first I was like, I was struggling to understand. I was like, well, why are we sending Verdamin here for these interviews, right? Because, like, he's a lawyer. Like, it would make more sense to send, like, Reichwein or Rudy or, like, someone else with, like, a psychological background almost, right? But then I realized, right, it's like in their conversation, in the heart-to-heart -heart they have when they're out in the hallway after Verdamin has his outburst and Suka's like, you can't do that. Like, the, and Verdamin goes through his whole thing, like, I have a personal stake in this. I have a personal connection to it. Like, that was my dad. Like, I need to know what happened because my whole sense of trust and justice and stuff is, like, based on you know this this lie that was at the center of my being and we get for a split second who does jan think about jan thinks about uh nina johan or a anna anna johan right and then i realized like oh that's why we've paired these two guys together because mm -hmm. it's two guys who've had their senses of trust and justice completely broken right and that's why jan's in such a bad mood right so verdamin is here to like it's these two dudes who are hurt in the same way and they've got to figure out how to how to fix that how to find a monster right yeah it's a great it's a great character combo and mm -hmm. so unexpected and executed so well good like you know and yawn is in such a mood as we've never seen him in like he's so bad mood he's bad bad mood real bitchy real bitchy today yawn. yeah um you know and uh and normally I get annoyed when two characters I like are like coming to blows over stuff. But here it works so well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the the other thing that I think yeah. works there, right, is like they realize that they have to, it's it's personal connections as always, right? It's like realizing that they have to like lean in on their personal stake in this case to be able to pursue it effectively. 
I think is the is the thing. Um, I I don't think I have anything in specific. It is definitely you know it's sort of a relief to be like oh good you know Verdamin's dad was a spy but a nice guy you know like he was maybe trying from the inside. Uh, but it's more important to Verdamin than it is to me, frankly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 for sure. The the only thing that I think is interesting there is, you know, when we had our long discussion about they're blackpilling the kids, right? Like with, with yeah, fiction, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Like, okay, how does Verdamin's dad get this kid out? He tells him a different story. He tells him the story of the Wizard of Oz, right? Like Dorothy was trying to get back home the to her family over stories. the rainbow, right? It's yeah. like he breaks this trance with a with a different story. As these weird kind of abstract stories about no feelings and no names and things were making these kids sick or weird or something. I don't, I don't know. He tells yeah. a different one to, to undo it. And it's um, also like, it's an interesting thing because, you know, the, the wizard of Oz, we have also seen that used, I think as an image for like East and West, like trying, you know, like, like Oz kind of being the West to the, people in the east behind what i mean like that is a story that has the wicked witch of the east the wicked witch of the west like it's the cardinal directions are like important Mm. in that story yeah yeah definitely yeah you know but it's it's interesting to see those things uh yeah connected Um, and it's it's just i i think the interesting thing about it is this idea that like the West and the East in Monster are not one thing each. Mm-mm. It's not East good, West bad. It's not West good, East bad. Like, we see both of these places from so many angles. Where, like, yeah, there were there was all of this super oppressive shit going on in the East. And also, here's the West, and they're coming in with all their capitalist bullshit. And kind of freedom as well. Like, at least there's freedom of speech, but it's, you know, it's not as simple as that. Like, all the politics stuff, I think what's interesting about it in Monster is that all we see are the perspectives. Like, all we get are these angles, and we're not told which one is the one that takes precedence. It's just that all of these different characters have had different experiences as regarding these things. You know, and it's, that's all it is, is different people and and their personal experiences of it. And I think that the, you know, because earlier in the manga, I was thinking like, well, okay, what does Monster want us to think about East and West? And at, at this point, I don't think Monster wants us to have a specific, I don't think it wants us to come out with a specific feeling about it. I think it just wants us to think about it. Yeah, probably. I think it's still maybe a little bit softer on the West than it would be on the East, right, is the thing. Like, because the thing that we keep coming back to is, like, all of these horrible things that happen under the old regime. I think the, oh, but, like, look at the West is a little bit more subdued. Like Maybe. I, I, I like know. I think you're right that, like, the idea of the West as, as being a symbol of freedom, I think that is powerful for us as American readers. Oh, yeah. Right? I think maybe it takes on an extra bit of an extra bit of juice for us. But, you know, but then like think about all the evil that came down after the wall. The evil wasn't coming from the east, the evil came from the west. Right. All of the good stuff and like all of the bad stuff came from the west in one go. Yeah. You know. Um so I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's soft, maybe it's not. Uh that's kind of above our pay grade yeah who knows perhaps um, um I, but it's, hey, it's I, interesting the angle it takes 
Yeah, it's it's good. Um, I love it when Yansuk's like, "What do you think you are, my dad? You're not my dad. I didn't have a dad, and if I and not having a dad would be better than having <laughs> you as a dad. I hate you." <laughs> yeah, and, and there's Verdeman, a new dad. You it's know, so he's funny. Like, he's like, okay, yeah, it is. It is. Funny. My shirt that says I don't have daddy issues is uh, raising a lot of questions God. that are answered by my shirt. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh God. Um, okay, do you want to, chapter 130? Chapter 130, Doorway to a Memory. Uh, Nina once again flashes through her memory of herself welcoming herself home, the man who appears to be Shopik reaching for her, and the room at the mansion full of dead bodies. And then she's back, absentmindedly watering the garden behind Reichwein's house. Reichwein, Dieter, Nina, Lada, and Carl eat lunch inside, reading a letter from Tenma explaining that Ava is being targeted by an organization and that he's getting close to Johan and will be able to end it all soon. Carl takes the letter to some forensic investigators who work for his father in an attempt to figure out where it came from, and Nina asks Reichwein to help her finish remembering everything. He expresses some reservations, but says he'll help if that's what she wants. At Reichwein's office, Rudy leads Nina through repressed memory therapy again. Before they start, she warns him that she might say something terrible. Nina is able to remember some details about her parents. Her father was a soldier who was killed, and her mother was an anti-government activist who tried to escape but was caught. Nina remembers the Red Rose Mansion, the bodies, and the thorns. She flashes to the memory of her welcoming herself home and then goes blank, turning her eyes down in silence. Rudy prompts her for more details, and Nina says that she's not Nina but doesn't want to say her real name. He asks her again to say her name, and again, and then Nina lunges forward and begins to choke Rudy, saying, I'm home. He snaps his fingers and wakes her from the trance as everyone rushes in. Nina's afraid that she said something terrible, but Rudy doesn't tell her what she really did, just that she was too afraid to say the terrible thing, even under heavy hypnosis. Meanwhile, Carl has found out that the letter came from Frankfurt. The next day, Reichwein and Dieter find Nina's room empty once more, with a letter saying she's gone to Frankfurt to find Tenma. She's remembered everything and can save Tenma by telling him everything about Johan and his plans. She is She choked so, him! She, she fucking choked him. But even more than that, she was just watering the plants having trauma flashbacks. Not good! It Not was good. so relatable. I mean, she she's just, just in big baggy jeans and a hoodie, and she's just sitting out there like... Sad. And yeah, trauma. man. Just, just in the trauma, just watering the fucking begonias out there. Johnny Jesus Cash, Christ. what have I become? My deepest God. friend. God. Playing in the background as she waters yeah. the plants. Yeah. 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 Um, no. Um. Yeah, and she chokes. She chokes him. She gets the dark murder Johan eyes. Yep. Guts berserk shadow under him. Fucking regression hypnosis. Yeah, Oof. I mean, we talked about it last time. We did. You know, it's very of its time. It's like goofy it as hell. It, it ages so poorly. Yeah, you know, because like, it, and I think the really fun thing about it as something that ages is that it was like, like, how long did that craze last? Ten years? Fifteen? Probably. Like, it I mean, cannot... it was over when the kids grew up. So, like, you know. Yeah, you know, like it really. I just feel like that part of the manga didn't work as intended for very long at all no 
And I mean, like, yeah. it just becomes kind of a pain, right? Like, okay, we just got to go through. They, like, flip, 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 flip. Like, especially on a reread, yeah. I was like, all right, let's just get through this. Like, I think her going into the trance and being, you know, almost possessed, that is the most interesting part of this. Totally. Um, yeah. Well, actually, the most interesting part of this is that Rudy is not doing interviews with the tape recorder anymore. He's taking notes on a piece of paper. Damn, Matt. Damn. I don't know what that means, but You're it's... You're so fucking right. Well, oh, man. It's his whole conversation with Lunga about objectivity and subjectivity, right? And, like, him continuing to grow as a person, right? Beyond just his weird obsession yeah. with collecting people's traumas. That is really nice. That is really interesting. Um, Yeah, I'm glad that uh they didn't have everybody in the room for this one. Yeah. Like, they're all waiting right outside the room which isn't much better but sure well like, i like that actually, Rudy no, doesn't tell better. them all yeah. like yeah she went berserk and tried to murder me like <laughs> he doesn't even tell her that she doesn't know yeah he's a yeah. good dude like he's a good doctor yes. yeah i also think it's fun that she remembers a bunch of stuff and we don't get to know what it is uh-huh like we're like oh fuck what did she remember she knows everything we now know nina has all the answers well and i think the thing that is most interesting about her having all the answers is it's not we're gonna go kill johan i have all the answers i can go save tenma mm-hmm. we've completely we're we're we've put yeah. the gun away <laughs> we're doing something different now yeah that's cool um, and reichwein likes uh vice first yeah, I love another scene of everyone having dinner at Reichwein's place. Always good. I, him and Dieter are building a desk so he could do school, and mm-hmm. Reichwein has a beer at lunch and is like, well, hopefully I can still build this desk. <laughs> Carl and Lada come over. It's really, it's such a good, this chapter and the next chapter are very powerful images of community. Mm-hmm. Um, and community is very important in Monster, and especially as we kind of head into this last bit, oh, community, oh, the idea Having dinner of, uh, together community. is important. Oh, it's, uh, yep, 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 yep. Um, yeah. Okay. I I do think it's a little funky that, I mean, this same setup was how Nina left last time. She did repress memory therapy with Rudy and then left a note saying, I'm running away. I remembered everything. And she does it again here. Like, uh, this is is her level up sequence is she has to have repressed Mm -hmm. memory therapy and then, and then leave a note. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is her, this is her hyperbolic time chamber. Yeah. Um. Uh, also, I don't know if we mentioned the color pages at the start, which mm-hmm. uh, they are the same style, like these strips. Uh, we had some of these last reading, I think. Um, I think so. You know, these cool high color things. It's very interesting. Um, but, yeah. I, uh, I don't think... Man, these are memory regression therapy. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, though. Like, what happened to you? So many people all dead. And and Rudy asks, is that what your brother saw? And she says the rose thorns hurt. And then she's the one who gets welcomed home. I, it's There's no way she wasn't the one there yeah. for the massacre. There's no and way no, at all. She was there. Absolutely had to be there. Um... God damn, we're getting back to Ben Carson separating the fucking Siamese twins. I said it way back and I uh, cut it out because I wasn't sure if yeah. it was a thing or not, but it is. Holy cow. Oh, you did you did cut that out. I did cut it out and I'm going to put it right here. Oh, Those are hang my thoughts on. on the hang matter. on, this oh, is unrelated, but now I got to look something up. Okay. okay. 
Okay. Uh, okay. I'm not gonna. I'm. I'm. I'm gonna reveal this in a very wild way. Okay. Uh, okay. I'm excited. Okay. All right. This is after this happened. So, who is the most famous neurosurgeon in the world, in real life? I don't fucking know. Ben Carson. He has to. He. He's the. He's the neurosurgeon who separated the Siamese twins. Oh. Ooh. And I mean, now of course we know Ben Carson because he was on Trump's cabinet. Uh, he ran yeah. for president in the Republican Party. Like a uh, whole career tainted. He was a very big deal. He. Re- I mean, there's the book about him. Uh, he has to. He has to. I am certain this man was uh, him being a neurosurgeon. I, I don't. Mm, I, I've, I've got to bake this take a little bit more. We'll 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 cut this out. Ben Carson goes to my church. <laughs> <laughs> not the one here, not the one here, but the one I went to growing up. I would sit That's next funny. to him at church. Wow. <laughs> um, not, not good, not good. We were all like, "Come star, on, what are you doing? Star power. What are you doing? Um, yeah, dark chapter of his career." Uh, <clears throat> um, uh, we'll cut this out. I don't, I don't have uh, anyway. Great. Yeah. Good because it was a good it was a good gift for Matt. I can't believe you cut that out. Uh, I <laughs> well, I wasn't it. sure um, if it was going to pan out. They're like, and that was the second episode. Like now, I wouldn't do that. I second leave episode, most of my goofy that? things in. Second episode, you did that. <laughs> Holy shit! I can't believe we're pulling something from that far back. Um, <laughs> all right. Okay, chapter one thirty one. A happy table. Tenma follows Peter Chapik, uh in Frankfurt, uh, and he follows him a bit. Oh, oh, except, oh, there's the cops. Whoops. And he runs from the cops, and then he gets he gets hit by Truck Coon. Um, <laughs> and uh, he wakes up with his arm and leg bandaged. Uh, a kid comes in and brings him some flowers. And then a man comes in and says, Hey, hey you. you. You're, You're finally, finally awake. awake. Um... And uh, says, I thought you were going to do the Skyrim thing there for a second. (laughs) (laughs) That is what I did. Um, I just couldn't remember any more of it. Uh, (laughs) I don't know either. I just like burned into my brain. It's so good. Maybe we could like, why don't we splice in the actual audio? I'll I'll have it saying, hey, you under you saying, hey, you. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah, perfect. Um, So the man says uh, that... uh, the man knows who Tenma is. He's the local dentist. Uh, his name is Milan Kolos, and he saw Tenma get hit by a car. Um, Tenma finds out that he's in the Turkish quarter of Frankfurt, which is getting all knocked down for quote-unquote redevelopment. Um, they tried to fight it uh, back during the, the previous time we were in Frankfurt, but too late now. All the Turks are mostly gone. Time marches on, and uh, and uh, capitalism's a bitch. He's invited to dinner with the family, and uh, one of the members of the family here is Vietnamese, and so uh, like it's just like a bunch of folks from kind of all over, and so everybody makes everybody makes food from a different a different uh, country every night. And as one of the characters said, that's the life. Uh, and I couldn't agree more. Uh, Tenma tells them a little bit about Japanese food. And they all think it's very fun. And he says, 
it's been a long time since he's had such good food in such good company. He looks around the room he's staying in. There's a bunch of pictures of Peter Chapek. He looks at the desk. There's a gun and a log of Peter Chapek's movements. And Milan says, didn't it strike you as odd? The police didn't all just happen to show up at once to arrest you. They were staking me out. I'm going to kill Peter Chapek. Dude, it's so good. That's such a good ending. Like It's such a good ending to a chapter, to a volume, uh, to a reading. And this chapter in general is really, really nice. Yeah, it's it's a good way to end the reading. And like, man, I just want to underscore how cool that is, where it's like you're in a stranger's house and you look up and the mission that you're on is there on the wall. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, what? what, it's, what I was like, did, did, what? Did they pull this from Tenda's notes? What is going on? <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Then it's like, no, I'm doing it too, buddy. He's he's on it. He's in it. Uh, and I can't wait for the next reading to find out why, because I can't remember why. My guess is that, my, well, here's one of my guesses, is that Shopik yeah. is behind this redevelopment of the Turkish quarter, right? His whole thing, oh, what, they're looking for a new Hitler or whatever. And you made a joke about, like, capitalism raises everything down. But, like, yeah, that's what yeah. this is. It's like they're doing the soft version of ethnic genocide, right? Just Yeah, like totally. They're like, oh, well, the fire, the fire didn't work, so let's redline it instead. Yeah. You know, yeah. Totally. Um, um, it might be he's involved in the conspiracy, right, and, like, knows about the Red Rose Mansion or whatever, but, like, even if it oh. was just as simple as, like, yeah, this is the man who kicked us out of our homes. I'm going to kill him. Yeah. Like, totally. Um, And the fact yeah. that, like, the cops are protecting this guy, like, that feeds into it, too. Like, totally. Very, very thriller-type conspiracy. Yeah. And it, it is super cool to just fall into this guy's lap. And, yeah. Yeah. It's um, awesome. I think and the... I just love the focus on food. Good. Very good. You know, I love the, you know, it's some Vietnamese food. They got some fud going on. And they, you know, they rib Milan for not being a good cook, so they can't have any Czech food. Mm-hmm. And then when Tenma describes uh, the Oyakodon. Uh, so, for my listeners who don't know, there's a Japanese dish, which is you have rice, and you have egg, and you have chicken. And they call it oyakodon, which means parent and child bowl, because you have the chicken and the egg in the yeah. same bowl. And everybody at the table finds that very, very funny. It's good. It's a good bit. Um, I always <laughs> like it when Tenma talks about Japan, because he doesn't do it very often. It was like when him yes. and Grimmer talked about Gundam and the song that was popular when he was yeah. on his visit to Japan. Or when he was with the mercenary, and he made them some... Yes. Nikujaga. Oh, I forgot I about was that. Was it Nikujaga? Or was it just, I don't remember what it was. I think it was Nikujaga, though. When he um, made them chopsticks, too, was the other thing, right? Because yes, then there's the yeah. fun bit about that. Which, that there's this reminded me of that a lot, because it's we yes, have another, like, grizzled European guy with, like, you know, a small Asian child <laughs> yeah. living in the house. Yeah, with them. totally. Yeah. Uh, I love Milan's design a lot. I think He's he has cool one of the more, hell. like, realistic faces. Like, it, I feel like I can imagine Milan in real life instantly well, he's, he's bigger jean renault is who he is he looks like mm-hmm. jean renault but he's like a little bit wider i think is his is his thing jean uh, renault the guy who plays leon the professional i see okay um which another very good movie um mm-hmm. caveats of course on that on that movie <laughs> for the natalie portman stuff but you know it's that's a good movie. oh no yeah um yeah so it's just to me it's a really sweet chapter that 
then sets up a, something very cool that I'm excited to learn more about next time. I don't yeah. have a lot to say about it. It's other a than good that. combo of thriller stuff. And yeah. I mean, like there's the fun silent opening with Tenma running from the cops. And then mm -hmm. like, I love that his shoes fly off when he gets hit by the van. Like, yes. Oh, it's yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. And there's that fun, like fade in thing with the panels. Yes. progressively yes, getting yes, larger. Yes. We saw that a bit a couple chapters ago, but I want with, you to talk about it here. I made that same note. Yeah. Like this happened mm -hmm. with Martin when he was going out and coming back in. We haven't seen this yeah. before. This is like a new no. move that Urasawa yeah. was like, oh, this is fun. I can do yeah, like. He's done. He done. He did like he's done this in smaller form a couple yes. of times before. But this time it's like a full move, like a full cinematic, like yeah, it's like a loading bar this. almost is what it looks yeah, like. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, it is. It is a very fun uh, visualization. So, but yeah, um, you know, it's when a we good see chapter. Tenma, you know, Tenma's like it's been so long, and it really we can hear it, we can see it, and he's just been isolating himself for such a long time. Yeah. I also like that we're back in the Turkish quarter. Like we talked a couple chapters ago yes. about how like time can continues to go on, right? And like the world is changing. The world, the locations that we visited in the story are things are happening when we come back to mm -hmm. them. Like I yeah. think that's that's good. It's cool. Yeah. Well, all right. I think that's more or less that. Uh, I think that's favorite, it. Uh, favorite favorite Tenma moment. Um, I think it is. I don't know. It might be Tenma getting beat up by Martin for being a creep in the in the beginning. We talked about that that's, for a while. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I think for me, it's yeah, such good food, such good company. It's good. Of course, it is. Yep. Favorite side character. Um, favorite side character. I mean, I've got to go Martin because we're we're not gonna we're not gonna see him again. Um, yeah. This was a small moment, and <laughs> I liked that he held on to the tie and like continue to go to yeah. these parties like that he like it was something about like because he has the thought about i think he flashes back to her saying like i dress you up like tenma and then he changes clothes and then d grabs the tie anyways right uh-huh yeah and we know from earlier he said like if it wasn't for that horrible tie i wouldn't you know be bleeding out in the back of the car so it's like <laughs> this is the it's him holding on to it and continue going deeper in is is what doomed him i like the tie totally I think my favorite Martin moment is when, like I said before, when he realizes that Ava's in danger and yeah. gets up without a word and just goes. I think that's amazing characterization. Um, favorite unnamed character. Oh, I like the I like the the um the nervous henchman who shoots Martin mm, in the gut. That's like good. The, this guy is like, scared. Yeah, but... yeah, I like that. I like that guy a lot too. Uh, and I like the janitor. Oh, the janitor's great. Yeah. Well, all right. Yeah. So I think who's that's... who's rocking this week? Do we have who's, a? We... Oh, fuck me. Who's Is it two rocking? consecutive weeks of Martin rocking, or two consecutive <laughs> he does episodes? Rock very very hard. Let me hold on. No, the guy who's rocking, the the guy who's rocking is a children's reading group adults because one yes. of the guys they interviewed. Oh, we didn't even talk about that. That poor we dude. We didn't talk about this guy, dude. This fucking guy. So his his feelings got so master blasted that <laughs> both of his kids committed suicide and then he divorced his wife and he doesn't even care. Like he doesn't he's just kind of confused about it uh faintly. So that guy's rocking pretty yeah, hard, I think. Reading group kids. I did think it was interesting. I di I didn't bring this up then. I think it's like yeah. interesting that the two guys we see are almost like 
reruns at guys we've seen before. Like, mm. Lipsky, his whole thing is he thought he'd be more sad when it burned down, but he doesn't feel anything. Yeah. Right? And then the and other then one, like, grimmer. does the grimmer thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Totally. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Master, their feelings got master blasted out of them. It's such master a good phrase. Blasted. Like, is... yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, I'm so. Uh, I feel like, uh, listeners. I hope I've been on my game today because I feel so hot and sweaty in this room in my new place. Super hot in here, and I'm so hungry. Uh, I'm I hope hungry. you've had. I hope you've had a really good time. Uh, I have also had a good time. Uh, Matt, who are you? Where can yeah, we find I'm, you on the internet? I'm Matt Fennell. Um, you can find me at blarple.net, B-L-A-R-P-L-E.net. Also on Blue Sky, I'm Matt Fennell on Blue Sky. Um, hey, I have a new project that is that is starting because I, I needed another project that's going to go on indefinitely and I, I may or may <laughs> right, not finish. Right. Uh, Meteor and the and the, its associated things weren't enough. Um, I am launching a new solo podcast called Elf Nonsense. Um, I've been thinking about this one for a long time since the end of Game of Thrones, the TV show back in 2019. Um, I have a large stack of paperback fantasy novels because I work near a used bookstore and paperback fantasy novels are very cheap. So I have, I have a really big stack of books, some that you've heard of, some that you haven't old, new, all over. Um, I'm going to be doing something in the style of like Sean McTiernan who does, um, uh, SF ultra is his current series in the past. He's done all units, um, and, and some other things about like horror movies, uh, like hundreds of pixelated dead bodies, uh it's it's kind of it's going to be somewhere between think of it this way i'm going to be doing video essays but not with video i'm just going to be doing podcast essays about fantasy novels um they're not going to be very long they'll probably be pretty informal um again like inspired by range touch inspired by sean mctiernan inspired by what we're doing here probably not a set schedule um but i'm going to try to get them out regularly the first book that i'm going to be reading is the black company by glenn cook which i think is like the genesis of of grim dark fantasy um so i'm I'm excited about that one uh Hell but yeah. yeah elf nonsense you can find it at elfnonsense.com. i bought the domain because of course i did great uh yeah so that's it quinn where can the people find you you can find my RPG work at 200proof.itch.io. Um, and that's it. <laughs> that's it? That's about it. Um, next I, time, hang on, I was yeah. going to say, oh, yeah. next, oh, time next time we're reading what, uh, what is it? Uh, 132 through 141. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat more. I'm going to eat more next time. And maybe get like a fucking, get like an in-room AC because this is gnarly. This is really gnarly. You gotta get. At I least gotta a fan. say, yeah, yeah, dude. Woof. All right, all right, everybody, everybody. Thank you, thank you, so much for listening. Thank you for being a friend. Thank you for being a friend. Thank you for being a friend.